Paradox X, Episode 1, Bloodsucker. Let's see here. What do we have to start with today? Report number 20230729-B575. Encounter date 29 July 2023. Entity involved Chupacabra, Class B Extra Normal. Location Las Cruces, New Mexico. Issuing observer, Observer Malin. Attending field agent, Agent Patil. After being contacted by local authorities about a series of suspicious attacks on civilians and livestock in and around Las Cruces, New Mexico, Observer Malin determined that there was sufficient cause to designate these occurrences as an active encounter. Taking into consideration that most of the victims were found missing significant amounts of blood, and that a vampire clan known as the Illuminated Children makes its home in the area, it was initially suspected that this situation was the result of a new fledgling vampire who had escaped from their protection and care, losing control of itself and attacking the local population out of instinct and hunger. Field Agent Patil, one of the NCRD's leading field agents when it comes to dealing with vampires, was assigned the case, and they arrived in Las Cruces early on the 29th of July at 8.34 local time. Once there, they attempted to reach out to the survivors of the reported attacks, which had all been on local farms, hoping to investigate for evidence as well as to get statements from any possible witnesses. Two of the three farmsteads agreed to talk to Agent Patil, and made arrangements to go over the events of the attacks. The other farm had no human survivors, and had not only been the first location attacked, but also the most viciously attacked. Agent Patil decided to head to the now-deserted farm first, as the lack of people would allow them to investigate the scene fully, without having to worry about curious bystanders. When they arrived, the crime scene tape was still up, although most of the physical evidence—remains, debris, etc.—had been removed by the police. A copy of the police report and their findings had been forwarded to us, and they showed that there had been a total of seven bodies at the first location. Three of these were human, and four were animals. One horse and, uh, three goats. The human victims had lost about a gallon of blood each, while the livestock had been completely drained. They had been discovered either in or near the barn, with pools of blood around the bodies, which had all been severely damaged during the assault. All of the livestock that hadn't been killed had either been sold to other farms or seized by the state. Agent Patil mentions that, even accounting for the lack of farm animals, the area seemed particularly still and quiet, as if most of the local wildlife had disappeared as well. This might seem an odd thing to mention, but Agent Patil points out that this is extremely uncommon for vampire attacks, as most animals treat them as human, more or less, with the exception of cats and dogs. Had this been the work of a vampire, there should have been at least some wildlife around, even if it was just scavengers drawn by the smell of blood and decay. But the trees were empty and there were no sounds apart from a light wind rustling nearby branches. Another sign pointing towards this not being a vampire attack was that most of the detectable violence was restricted to the barn itself. 
This would seem to indicate that the livestock had been the initial target, and the human victims had been secondary, or even unintentional targets, for the creature or creatures responsible for the destruction, as they had been attacked near the barn door. If it had been a vampire, very few of the animals would have been injured, let alone killed and drained of blood, as the attack would have been focused on the humans, and more of the damage would be concentrated near the farmhouse. Moreover, Agent Patil notes that there was too much spilled blood at the crime scene for this to be a vampire attack. Vampires are clean and neat killers. Even the hungriest fledgling rarely damages the body of their victims, as it results in more blood on the ground and less for them to drink. These bodies were torn and ravaged, and the ground was stained where the bodies had fallen. A vampire would have taken more care. However, the biggest clue that this was a non-vampire encounter were the tracks. Among the hoof prints of the livestock and the heavy boot treads of the farmers, Agent Patil discovered a number of three-toed footprints that seemed to be from a four-legged creature, judging by the weight distribution and orientation. Agent Patil, though an expert on vampires and other creatures that are often described as the undead, was not familiar with the type of creature that had made the prints. They sent copies of the scans of all available tracks to headquarters so that they could be analyzed and processed. The first of the cooperating farms, belonging to a man named Gabriel Vasquez, was the second to have been attacked three nights ago at the time of Agent Patil's visit. Mr. Vasquez's barn still showed signs of a very violent struggle, and Agent Patil could see that there was a hole about three feet tall close to the rear of the building. According to the farmer, on the night of the event, he and his employees had been having dinner when they heard a loud commotion from his cows and goats. One of the stable hands, a man named Uis, who lived with them on the farm, went out to check on the animals. Shortly after, they heard a loud, anguished scream. Mr. Vasquez, his husband Cecil, and a number of other farm hands rushed outside, but it was too late to do anything, and they found Uis's body, as well as the remains of three cows and two goats. As had been the case in the first location, the animals were completely drained of blood, while the human victim was only missing about half a gallon. Agent Patil notes that Mr. Vasquez's statement indicates that, given the series of events, it is unlikely for this to have been the work of a vampire, unless it was indeed a very young one. As with the first sight, the creature seemed to prioritize attacking the livestock, only killing Uis as a reaction to being discovered, and immediately fleeing after hearing the approach of more humans. Further examination of the scene reinforced this conclusion. There were a significant number of tracks to be found, and after sorting out those of the livestock, Agent Patil discovered the same three-toed tracks that had been at the first location. With Mr. Vasquez's permission, Agent Patil also took a few blood samples from the scene, some from residual traces and some from the remaining livestock. During their travel to the final occurrence site, Agent Patil received a communication from headquarters. Analysis had been completed on the three toed tracks which they had sent in from the previous locations, and these were determined with 90% accuracy to be those of a chupacabra. This explained both the focus on livestock and why it was at first thought to be a fledgling vampire, as both creatures have similar behavior patterns. Agent Patil states in their report that this is an overall preferable situation. As opposed to vampires, who are just as likely to hunt solo as to be part of a pack or clan, 
chupacabras are far more solitary creatures, and it's less dangerous to face down a single chupacabra than an entire clan of vampires trying to defend a fledgling. Agent Patil arrived at the last farm, belonging to one Ms. Alicia Johnston, where the most recent occurrence had taken place. As with the Vasquez farm, the attack had taken place near nightfall, while Ms. Johnston was eating dinner. She had just sat down when her chickens began to, quote, have a right duck fit. Ms. Johnston then retrieved a firearm, a rifle which she does have a license for, and headed out to her chicken coop. She saw a shape about the size of a large dog stooping over a couple of dead hens, and the rest of her birds attempting to uh, fly the coop, as it were. She opened the door of the hen house to let the panicking chickens out, and, once she had a clear shot, fired twice at the creature. It immediately recoiled and fled, although she was sure that she had hit it and that it wasn't just running from the noise. She informed Agent Patil that she had noticed a trail of blood leading away from the farm. She had not followed it to check to see if it was still alive, because, quote, nothing is quite as dangerous as a wounded critter when you put it in a corner. Agent Patil agrees with this statement, especially when it comes to chupacabras. Though a single gunshot is unlikely to do much permanent damage to a chupacabra, they are both poisonous and venomous, and can give off toxic vapors for hours after they die. Though chupacabras are classified as a Class B extranormal, it requires specific training and equipment to dispose of any remains should one die. In keeping with NCRD regulations, Agent Patil updated headquarters that any personnel sent should be properly equipped and also switched out their sidearm for a taser and made sure that their trank rifle was properly loaded with appropriate darts. Evidence found in the henhouse backed up the witnesses' claims, and Agent Patil found more of the same three-toed tracks, confirming that the same type of creature from the previous attacks had been there as well. As Ms. Johnston had mentioned, there was also what looked like a trail of dark green, almost black blood. As the creature seemed to be nocturnal, Agent Patil took advantage of the daylight and followed the tracks. They eventually led to what our agent recognized as a chupacabra den. At 19.30 local time, roughly 45 minutes before sunset, Agent Patil transmitted the location of the den to headquarters in case of any unfortunate outcomes. Then, using a synthesizer, they created bait from the blood samples collected at the Vasquez farmstead and used it to set up a trap near the mouth of the den, taking up position a safe distance away. An hour and a half later, a shape emerged and approached to the bait. Agent Patil first made visual confirmation that it was in fact the chupacabra, then proceeded to neutralize it with a silvered tranquilizer dart. After making completely certain that the sedative had taken full effect, the extranormal was secured and placed on a medevac to be taken to the New Mexico branch of the NCRD. Post-encounter measures taken. Body removal via medevac to a local NCRD research facility. Local authorities were notified and have put out a statement blaming the attacks on a pack of rabid coyotes. Authorities have also been briefed on the signs and tracks that are indicative of chupacabra activity, just in case there are any others in the area. It is highly unlikely since, as previously mentioned, chupacabras rarely travel in groups. However, it is better to be safe than sorry, and it never hurts to be prepared, especially when it comes to extranormals that are as deadly when left unchecked as the chupacabra. We have also reached out to the Illuminated Children, the vampire clan that was originally suspected.
As vampires and chupacabras are often active during the same hours, it would be useful to have an extra set of eyes, especially ones that are capable of defending themselves against extra normals like chupacabras. Also, as much as the thought of cooperating with extra normals, especially vampires, can be discomforting to some, it is far more beneficial to us to avoid any perceived slights and keep them updated of any extra-normal activity that occurs within their area of influence. They might not be NCRD-affiliated, but they function much like any of the numerous hunters we have established contact with, reaching out any time something seems deserving of our attention. At the time of this report, there has not yet been any response from the illuminated children, but Agent Patil is optimistic, and I agree with their assessment. This clan, in particular, has proven willing to cooperate with us in the past, and seems to want to do whatever is necessary to keep their existence a secret from humankind. Not counting the NCRD, of course. Most extranormals of a classification level A are, at the very least, willing to refrain from hostilities, but it's not often that we come across those who are actually seeking out a mutually beneficial relationship. This is an opportunity that we cannot ignore, and we should try to foster similar outcomes with other extranormal communities in the future, at least those which are willing to do so, while remaining diligent to the threats that many extranormal entities are capable of posing. Mm. <clears throat> This report was compiled by CE Supervisor Elizabeth Forsyth on the 31st of July, 2023, and submitted with digital, physical, and audio copies as required by standard NCRD procedures. Thank you for listening to Para Doc X, a Black Lilac production, written and created by Adam Hansen. Today's episode was performed by Eris Wiedorn, with audio editing by KB Truesdell. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe and rate on iTunes, Spotify, or the podcast distributor of your choice.